Well, I want to welcome you today to the continuation of our God at the Movies message series. Before we jump into the message today, I wanted just to take a moment to pray for the families of people who lost loved ones this last weekend in Aurora, Colorado. I know that this is a horribly wicked situation, but God can take it and use it for His glory. I have a good friend of mine who's a pastor there in Aurora, and so this morning CNN is at his church to interview them. And I believe God's going to take this and use it, that many people will receive his love out of the wickedness and the evil uh, in our world in this situation and circumstance. So let's pray together. God, uh, we know that what happened on Friday breaks your heart and that you have the ability to comfort the people that are in pain over the loss of a loved one and even the fear in our nation as a result of this, this one event this last uh, Thursday night. And I pray, Lord, that you would bring tremendous healing, and I pray even for my friend Ryan and Gina Heller with the Edge Church in Aurora, Colorado, that today, God, you'd use them to impact the people in their community, that as CNN is there to interview them, that this would be an opportunity for you to get credit for your love and to use the situation which the enemy meant for evil and turn it for good. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now today, as we uh, continue our message series called God at the Movies, uh, I have a confession I've never been in prison in my life. I've never been to jail either, um, but I've been pretty close, or at least I felt like I was close one time. And I went out on a Friday evening when I was in high school with a few of my buddies, and we went to the Grand Cafe, which for some reason we would go to the Grand Cafe on Friday nights to pick up chicks as high school students. It's a coffee shop. I don't know why, a coffee shop to pick up chicks. It never actually worked, but I guess we just thought if we kept going one day it would work. And so we went into the coffee shop after parking our car in the alley behind the coffee shop, and we came back out, and our car was gone. Now, I have lost the car by myself before and gone out. It took me like 10 to 15 minutes to find it in a parking lot, and that's just because I'm a little bit crazy. But four or five people together to lose a car, that's a little bit odd. So we knew something had happened, and the place where the car was, there was a door there. So we went inside that door, and it was a bar, and we got carded, and they wouldn't let us in, but we got to speak to a manager, and the manager informed us that the car that we had been driving was parked in front of the door to the bar, and nobody could get out of the bar, and so they had to call the police. They towed the car, and the manager said, you better hope you don't get in big trouble for this one. You need to go to the police station a few blocks away, so we're walking, thinking, what's going to happen? Are we going to get handcuffs around our hands, thrown into jail for the night, and so... We got there, and long story made very short, we didn't get thrown into jail that night, but I felt like I was really close, and I was trying to figure out how I was going to explain this one to my father, and $300 later, we had our car, and we were back on the road. I've never been in prison. That's the closest I've ever been to jail, but I have family members, and I have friends who've spent time in prison, and I hear horror stories of what happens behind bars. I hear that there are things that are unmentionable from the stage today, the wickedness and the evil that happens when people are thrown into prison and some of the abuse that people endure. Nobody wants to go there. Nobody would want to spend their life, their years behind prison doors. That's the consequence for a life of evil. And, and most of us have never been to prison before, yet many of us live in a different kind of prison. We live in a prison that destroys marriages, it destroys relationships between parents and children, between grandparents and grandkids, 
It's a prison that destroys churches, life groups, businesses, organizations, and even nations. It's a prison that maybe you're living in this morning. It's the prison of bitterness. It's a bitter soul that is unable to forgive the people from our past that have caused us pain. And today we want to talk about this concept of forgiveness and wrestle through the bitterness that each of us experience. To do so, we're going to look at this movie called People Like Us. We're in this series called God at the Movies. Each week in the series, we're going to look at one of the biggest blockbusters of the summer. Next week, we're going to talk about Batman Rises Again. But today, as we look at this movie called People Like Us, it's a story about a young guy named Sam Harper. Sam Harper works for a bartering company. He has a lot of issues and problems. He's a salesman. He's trying to climb the corporate ladder, and he gets a call. He finds out that his deadbeat dad has died at the age of 63, and now he's got to go home and deal with all the junk in his heart, the bitterness and the lack of forgiveness that he's experiencing. So he hops on an airplane, flies home, realizes that he's missed his dad's funeral, probably intentionally, and has to meet with the attorney who had represented his dad. And so he's sitting there meeting with the attorney who slides a bag across the table. He opens up the bag and inside is $150,000. He's a little bit excited until he realizes that that $150,000 actually is for a sister that he never knew existed. And so the whole movie is the journey of Sam Harper and his sister he's never known, him meeting her and then going on a journey together to forgive their father, their dad that smoked pot, that abandoned both of them, and how are they going to overcome this bitterness of the soul? And the movie title, People Like Us, is so appropriate, is it not? That that same bitterness all of us experience, from a mom or a dad that wounded us when we were a child, from a spouse that left us to raise the kids by ourselves, from that guy or that gal that you were dating and promised the world to you and then he or she left you high and dry for the next best thing, that so many of us have accumulated bitterness over the course of our lives and it has become a poison, a root that entangles every relationship. It pervades and causes this toxin to influence the way that we see every circumstance in our lives And this is so significant, so important for us today because many of our lives are a shell of what God intended them to be because of the root of bitterness in our hearts. And today we want to get to the core. We want to pull that root out and experience the joy, peace, and love that God longs for each of us to experience. To do that, we're going to look at a story found in the New Testament of the Bible in Matthew chapter 18. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. And as you're turning there, let me say this. We said last week with this series, God at the Movies, that every story has an author and every author has a motive. That motive is a mixed motive. They have an ambition for why they wrote their movie. Sometimes it's to make money. Sometimes it's to communicate a principle or a truth, which means that every story, because it's based upon the human story, has elements of truth in it. But also because it's written by a human and humans have flawed perspective and flawed motives, There are flaws or errors in every story. So we want to extract the truths from the stories of these movies and compare them 
with a story that we believe is truth without the mixture of error, the Bible. And so today we're going to compare the story of Sam Harper and his journey to forgive his dad with our own struggle of bitterness and a lack of forgiveness and watch God move us to yank out that root at the deepest place of our, of our hearts that oftentimes destroys our marriages, relationships, families, churches, and nations. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, the story starts off like this. It says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked this question. And maybe you've wrestled through this question before. Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or my sister who sins against me? Isn't that a great question? When you're abused sexually, emotionally, relationally, when a spouse continues to do the same thing over and over again, abusing you with their words or a parent that has damaged you relationally, how many times is enough? Like, when do you say, okay, I've forgiven you enough times. Is seven enough for the same offense occurring over and over and over again? Seems like a very gracious response, doesn't it? Seven times. Some of you are like, three, two, maybe one. And here Peter asks Jesus, how many times? And watch Jesus' response. He says this. I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Not to put a lid on the number of times, but to realize and emphasize the significance and the importance of a heart that forgives those who've hurt us. And then he makes this statement. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. He's going to describe a story that helps us understand the reality of bitterness and forgiveness in our hearts. And he says, it's like this. It's like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. There was a debt that was owed to him a man who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, some of you guys in the room ever been in debt before? You can raise your hand. I've been in debt before. Most of us have. Don't be ashamed. We've all experienced at times or others. Anybody been in debt? Raise your hand. Let's be honest with each other. Just about everybody across the room has experienced debt at some point, whether it was a student loan or it was a credit card, or it was a car that we shouldn't have bought, or a house that we got underwater with. And you know that feeling when the creditor starts to come after you, and you get that letter, or you get that phone call, or your mom gets that phone call, or your grandma gets that phone call, and they're calling you nasty, no good names, and threatening your grandma, who's 90 years old and lives in some farm across the country and doesn't even have, like, internet, but she's being threatened for your debt. And here in this story, Jesus says, there's this servant, and not just a student loan corporation or visa does this guy owe debt to, it's the king. It's the guy who's in charge of the whole nation. And it's not just a small sum of money, it's not like five, ten thousand dollars $10,000. I mean, for some of us, that feels like a lot of money. The amount of money, I looked up in a commentary this week, if you were to do the math on it, one talent is the equivalent of 840,000 US dollars. So if you multiply that out, this is about 8.4 billion dollars that the servant owes to the king. That's the net worth of Steve Jobs when he died last October. One of the richest men in the world who spent his whole life building a great company was worth 8.4 billion dollars after his life. And that's how much the man owes to the creditor. Do you think he could pay it back in a lifetime? There's no way. And the creditor says to him, or the king says to him, you're ordered to pay off your debt, and his wife, his kids, and all he had 
would need to be sold in order to repay the debt. So imagine the anxiety that this man must have felt. That he's got to go home and explain to his wife, because of my gambling, because of my drug addiction, because of my habits, I've put our family in $8.4 billion of debt, and now you have to be sold, and our kids have to be sold, and you're going to spend the rest of your life in slavery because of my choices. And he comes back to the king, and the scripture says that the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything I owe to you. And what would you expect the king to do in this situation? You'd expect him to either throw the man into prison. You'd expect him to make the man a slave for the rest of his life, to pay back the debt that was owed to him. Maybe he would cut the interest a little bit on the debt so that it could be a little bit easier for him to pay back the $8.4 billion. But watch what happens in the story. It seems so scandalous. It seems so unjust even. The scripture says that the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. $8.4 billion canceled. I mean, think about it with me for just a moment, guys. Imagine the greatest debt that you've ever owed. You walk into the creditor's office and the creditor says to you, it's done. It's over. No more statements in the mail, no more threats of nasty, nasty creditors calling your grandma saying that they're going to kill her when she's in her sleep so they can get your money. Like none of that's going to happen. Again, you're free. The slate is clean. $8.4 billion is gone. Could you imagine the exhilaration and the jubilation that you would feel in that moment as your debt had been completely wiped clean? And the question I wrestled through, is it unjust? Is it unjust that the king would cancel the $8.4 billion in debt? I mean, it seems kind of unjust, doesn't it? Until you realize that he's the one to whom the debt was owed. The $8.4 billion had to be paid by somebody, didn't it? And it was paid by the king who cancels the debt. And Jesus is setting these people up so that they can understand the weight of their sin before a holy and righteous God. To understand that if you were to accumulate the wickedness of human condition, it's like this debt that could never be paid. That you could work hard religiously day after day, week after week, performing everything perfectly according to your own strength. But at the end of time, you and I would never be able to stand before a perfect, righteous, and holy God having atoned for all of our wickedness and sin. And Jesus says, because of God's mercy, because of the king, the slate is wiped clean. And then he does something and he turns the story and watch what happens as it continues in verse number 27. It says, verse number 28, excuse me. It says, the servant then went out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Guys, this is like a few thousand dollars. This is the amount of money that could be earned in a week. What would you expect the servant to do for the guy who owes him a few thousand dollars after he's been canceled an $8.4 billion debt? Cancel it. Wipe it clean. It's nothing compared to what you owed to the king 10 minutes ago. And the scripture is so ironic Jesus is setting these people up to understand 
their wickedness and their lack of forgiveness for those who've hurt them. Not seven times, but 77 times. And watch what he says. It says, he grabbed the man, began to choke him, and he said, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. He demanded that every dollar of the three, four, five thousand dollars be paid back and the man was sent into prison when he had just had an $8.4 billion debt canceled. So wicked, Jesus is communicating. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying, forgiven people should forgive people. If you've been forgiven, if you've been forgiven, then that same forgiveness that has been extended into your life and my life is the same forgiveness that should be extended into the lives of those who take from us, from hurt, who hurt us, who owe to us. And Jesus communicates this story, and then he says at the very end of it, that the man who sent the other to prison, all of the servants around noticed this, and they went back to the king. And when they went back to the king, they reported how the servant had not forgiven the small debt that was owed to him. And the king says, I want you to take the man that I've just canceled the debt, his debt, the $8.4 billion guy, and I want you to throw him into prison and order him to pay back everything he owes to me. And then what does Jesus say? This is how, at the end of the passage, this is how my heavenly father will treat those of you who do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let me ask you a question. I know that this is a weighty subject. Could Jesus be any more clear about the consequences of bitterness and forgiveness in our hearts and in our lives? Jesus is saying that when you hold forgiveness to someone who's hurt you in your past and you feel like you're throwing them into prison, which I've done before, I want to lock that person behind a cell and never see their face again. That person that abused me that one that abandoned me, I'd rather never have to face them again and just put them behind bars. And Jesus says that this is what bitterness does. This is what a lack of forgiveness is in your life and my life and our lives. It's as if you're opening the prison doors wide and instead of throwing that person into prison, you're putting yourself in prison and the doors are closed behind you so that you can rot with a poison of bitterness destroying every relationship and circumstance of your life. Now, I know it seems like if we forgive that person, we're saying it's okay, doesn't it? Like if I say to that person who abused me sexually or that person that stole from me, it's like I'm saying to them, it's okay that you did that. And I just want to take a moment in the middle of our message today and identify the depth of pain that you might feel because of what someone took from you in your past. And I want to tell you that it's not okay. It's not okay. In fact, can I just tell you from my heart that I'm sorry? I mean, I was just thinking this week of many of the circumstances in our church that I know exist and might exist. I'm sorry, number one, that he or she took your innocence from you. Your virginity that you did not want to give, he or she just robbed it from you. I'm sorry for what your dad said to you and that you can't escape the harmful, hurtful words that your father said to you when you were a young boy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry 
that your mom abandoned you and left you when you were a child, and you were left there to wonder if she ever loved you. I'm sorry that he left you or she left you high and dry to raise the kids, and now you're a single parent by yourself trying to pull scraps together so that you can pay the bills and put food on the table. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that he drank himself to death, and now you've got to raise that child on your own. I'm sorry that he abused you verbally through 20, 25, 30 years of marriage. I'm sorry that your dad never came to your sports games. I'm sorry that your mom committed suicide. I'm sorry that the guy that you were dating took what he wanted and he ran. I'm sorry that he or she gossiped about you and spread rumors. And now your image, image is tarnished and and tainted because of the words that another person said about you. I'm sorry for those of you who your boss illegitimately fired you. I'm sorry that his or her life was cut short, and now maybe even there's this bitterness and anger in your heart towards God. I'm so sorry that you were told that you would never be good enough, that you would never measure up. And I'm sorry that your parents or your grandparents didn't let you have the childhood that you deserved or that you should have had. I'm sorry. And it's not okay. It's not okay. All the pain, all the hurt, all the suffering that you've endured. He's not an unjust God. There's no sin that is committed that goes unpunished. And in the end of time, every wrong to you will be punished and accounted for. It will be reconciled. And it will be reconciled in one of two ways. It'll either be reconciled at the cross when the punishment was placed on Christ. Or it will be reconciled as that person spends eternity apart from Christ in a place called hell. But can we come back to you for just a few minutes before we close? Let's get real honest with each other. I mean, if I could sit down and have a cup of coffee with you over this subject, I would ask you three questions. I would ask you three questions. I would stare into your eyes and look into your heart and ask you these three questions that I want you to write down and I want you to wrestle through for the few minutes that we have remaining. And I, as I transition, I, again, don't want you to feel like I'm negating what you've been through and it's not okay and I know the hurt and I know that you wrestle through it at the core of who you are. But friends, for so many of us, our lives are failing to be what God could make them into the person that he's created us to be because of the bitterness or the lack of forgiveness that we have in our hearts. And so here are the three questions that I just want you to wrestle through. Number one is this, have you been forgiven? Have you been forgiven for the sins that you have committed against a holy and righteous God? And if not, this is a perfect moment to receive God's forgiveness. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that from the moment that we come into planet Earth as a cute little baby boy or girl, that our hearts are predisposed to wickedness, jealousy, selfishness, anger, all these hard attitudes that are offensive to a holy and righteous God, and the consequences of our sin should be eternity apart from God. But God made a way. And that, may, that way that he made was himself coming to earth to take the penalty of humankind on a cross so that the slate can be wiped clean. 
And God's wrath and judgment and holiness and righteousness was put on his own son so that you and I can stand forgiven before God for all of the sins of our past. And it's not okay. God never said it was okay, but he said, I will take the punishment and you get the forgiveness. The $8.4 billion. I love this verse from 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, though, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That there is this God that wants to extend his mercy and his grace. And it's not that he is unjust in forgiving us. It's that the punishment was laid on his son. And he cancels the debt if we confess our sins before him. Have you received his forgiveness? Right now, in this moment, you can receive his forgiveness. Not in a super spiritual, melodramatic way. It's like, God, I need you. I've messed my life up. I'm broken. I can't fix it. I heard the founder of Twitter, Jack Dempsey, say one time, he was talking about all the philanthropic efforts of his life and all the good things that he's done with the money through starting Twitter that has come to him. And somebody said to him, why do you do all these good things? He said, I realize that there's a debt that I've taken from planet Earth. One of the most famous guys in our generation, one of the most influential people among millennials and in the 21st century says, I realize I've taken from planet Earth that I've messed up and I've blown it and I'm trying to repair the debt that I've taken. See, all of us realize that there's something broken in us. There's something not right. And this message of Christ comes to fix us at the core of our hearts that if we'll receive it by grace, God's mercy comes through our faith. Today, you can receive that. What I want to ask you to do is in this moment, if that's you in your heart to say to God, I need you. I want to follow you. I believe that you died on a cross and resurrected from the dead. And what I want you to do is to let us know that on your connection card in just a few moments at the end of our service that you are taking the step today to place your faith in Christ for the very first time. So have you received forgiveness for your sins? Now the second question is a little bit tougher. It's for those of us who've received forgiveness. Let me ask you this. How much have you been forgiven? Like if you were to tally it up, and I know that nobody in here would want to do this and I wouldn't want to do it myself, but if our sins were shown on a screen on Sunday morning at South Bay Church and the sins just went through all the anger, all the jealousy. Yesterday afternoon when my wife was away and I was taking care of the kids for eight hours and I was making lunch for the boys and Cademan, my son, who's five and a half years old, I made him yogurt and he ate the yogurt and he asked me for another thing of yogurt and then he asked me for a sandwich after that and I'm like trying to boil myself one egg and eat it and I can't do like even eat a bite of yogurt myself and I'm getting more and more angry and I want to just like send him to his room because he's making me so frustrated and that anger that comes from within me but the moments that that comes over and over and over again and the times I'm selfish and the times I'm bitter towards people who hurt me I I could tally the list up and there would be no way to measure it it would be more than 8.4 billion dollars and this psalm in psalm 130 says this If you, O Lord, kept a record of sin, who could stand? Like if God were to keep a record of every sin, every moment of offense, every idle word, every time that you and I are selfish, nobody could stand in his presence. But the passage says, but with you there is forgiveness. 
therefore you are feared. That, that there is this great fear should, that should come over our hearts as we recognize the weight of our sin before a holy and righteous God. That God takes sin so seriously. It's not as if he winks at sin and he's like this happy go lucky God and just kind of laughing all the time and oh you 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 know you you cheated on your taxes that's kind of funny I, I I like that oh you you lied to your spouse that's oh I love you like he is not just loving and merciful he's righteous and holy and so at the cross his holiness and his justice is placed on his son with nails in his hands a perfect Lamb of God who never made a mistake with a crown of thorns in his head. It's the weight of sin, all of humanity upon the Son of God that is the only path. It's the only righteousness for us. It's the only way we stand forgiven before God. It's not a light deal to him. It's not like he's flipping about our sin. It's weighty before him. If he kept a record of sin, nobody could stand. But because of the cross... Because of the empty tomb, there is forgiveness. The righteousness and the wrath of God is placed on his son so that you and I can have the $8.4 billion canceled. Let me ask you one more time. How much? How much have you been forgiven? Those of you who are followers of Christ in the room, 8.4, 9, 10, 12, I know like... 50 billion doesn't even do it for me, and I'm a pastor, and I should have this thing together. But as I see the wickedness in my heart, the selfishness, the greed, the arrogance, and my need for a Savior, I'm reminded of the weight and the depth of my sin before a holy, righteous God. And I am so grateful for forgiveness and mercy today. How much have you been forgiven? And then one last question before we finish. In light of how much you've been forgiven, in light of his mercy, when are you going to forgive? Like, let, let's just go ahead and put a date on the calendar, okay? That spouse that left you, when? You need a year? You need two years? You need five years? H how about that child of yours that won't call you? You need six months? Three weeks? When are you going to make the choice to forgive? And what I want us to see so clearly is that Jesus brings his disciples and he brings us to a point today where we have to realize that forgiveness is a choice from our hearts. That's why he says at the end of the passage, this will be the consequence if you will not forgive your brother who sins against you from your heart. Forgiven people should forgive people. And the weight of the weight and the prison of our bitterness is destroying so many of our relationships, so many marriages, so many friendships with roommates, so many dating relationships, so many businesses, so many churches, so many nations that are warring against each other because of their inability to forgive the people that have hurt them. And my question for you is how long are you going to stay in that prison? How long will you let the shackles of bitterness 
the poison of unforgiveness be around your wrist and cause you to be a shell of what God created you to be? When are you going to stand up and get out of that prison and realize the weight of your sin and my sin and our sin and realize that because of a cross, because of an empty tomb, the slate is clean and you can stay there the rest of your life if you want to or you could make a choice and let the shackles of bitterness come off and receive forgiveness as you give forgiveness. Forgiven people, what do they do? Forgiven people, forgive people. When are you going to do it? I had to run my own heart through this grid this week, and I was reminded a time recently when I was on family vacation. I was there with my wife and our two kids and my sister-in-law and her three boys and five kids in a house. You can imagine like six, five, four, three, and two all under one roof, lots of energy. One day we were gathering all the boys together and they were singing some kid's song. I think it was Ronald McDonald or Old McDonald or whatever that song is. And each kid's an animal. And Sammy, who's our youngest son, got pushed out of the way when it was his turn to sing. And I could tell that he was a little bit frustrated and I went to lay him down in bed that night, and I, I could just sense, you know, as a parent, you can just sense in your kid, something's, something's not right with this kid. And I said to him, I said, Sammy, are, are you good in your heart? I said, are you, is your heart clear? We, we ask that question sometimes in our family, is your heart clear? And he said, no, my heart's not clear. And I said, well, what's wrong? Three and a half year old little boy says, I'm angry. And I said, Sammy, why are you angry? And he said, well, when we were singing the song, Cademan and Jonathan pushed me out of the way, and it made me really angry at them. Isn't it amazing the maturity of a three-and-a-half-year-old, the ability to comprehend their heart as their heart is shepherded? And I asked him, I said, well, Sammy, can you make a choice to forgive Jonathan, and can you make a choice to forgive Cademan for what they did to you? And he said, no, I'm angry with them. I don't want to forgive them. I'm not going to forgive them. And then I said, well, Sammy, how's your heart? And he said, my heart's not good. My my heart is angry. And I asked him one more time. I said, Sammy, can you forgive them for what they've done to you? And he said, no, I can't forgive them. And then I realized, okay, I've got to intervene at a higher level in this situation. And I said to Jonathan and Cademan, I said, would you come over and talk to Sammy? He wants to tell you something. And when they got there, I said to Sammy, I said, why don't you tell Jonathan and Cademan why you're angry with them? And he said, well, I'm angry with you because when we were singing that song, you pushed me down. And now I'm frustrated, I'm mad, I'm elaborating a little bit here, and, <laughs> and I said to Cademan and Jonathan, I said, well, why don't you go ahead and confess and tell your brother that you're sorry for what you did to him, and both of them said, I'm sorry, and then Sammy, a little three-and-a-half-year-old boy, says, I forgive you, and we went over and we laid down, and he's there, the pleasant look on his face, and I said to him, I said, how's your heart now, and he said, my heart's good. The ability to forgive changes everything in our lives. And so many of us are in a prison of an inability to forgive those who've hurt us and cause us pain. And we're replaying it over and over and over and over again. It's not okay. It's not okay that he or she abused you. It's not okay that they stole from you. It's not okay. But you're the one who in bitterness suffers harm. And today what God wants to do is take the shackles off and for you and I to make the choice to forgive. 
I went through the grid of my heart this week. I realized that there was a friend from back in seminary that told a secret I had told him, and there was bitterness in my heart. So I reached out by email, got his phone so that I can call and clear the relationship up. I wrote a long three-page letter to one of my family members, accounting and extending forgiveness for all of the times that I'd been hurt, just to say, I'm not holding you in prison anymore. I'm letting the shackles loose, and I forgive you because of the forgiveness that has come to me. I'm sorry for any pain that I've ever caused to you. Because of God's mercy and forgiveness, the slate is clean, and you can walk free. He took the penalty. Maybe it's an email. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a conversation on the way home from church today with a spouse. Maybe it's a confession with a child or a parent. It's to clear the air and say, I'm sorry, or to say, you hurt me, or to ask for them to recognize the pain that they've caused to you. Maybe it's over a family member that's been gone 5, 10, 15 years, and it's a conversation between you and God to release that person from the pain that they've caused to you. What I want to do is in this moment, I want to give you an opportunity to reflect on what we've talked about today. Inside your program, there is a a little template, a little sticky note that is your place to write down what you're going to do with what we talked about today. And we're going to sing a song about God's mercy and forgiveness. And during this time, I want you to write that down. And then at the end of the song, I'm going to come back and close it all out as God drills this truth home. Forgiven people, forgive people. Let's make a choice in this moment to extend the mercy and forgiveness that's been available to us, to those in our lives who've heard us. Jesus, we recognize today that you're merciful, that you're gracious, that you've canceled the debt, that we could work our whole lives to repair it and we'd never be able to rebuild what's been, what's been taken from you, the offense before you. And so even in this moment, for those of us who are in the room today, those of you even who have yet to receive forgiveness, let this be a moment that you concretize what we just talked about about five minutes ago, that you're putting your faith in Christ. And Jesus, for all of us in this moment, we want to freshly be reminded of the cross and what you did when you hung on a tree for the sins of the world so that humanity can have forgiveness from the heart of both a just and a loving God. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus Christ, I think upon your sacrifice, you became nothing, poured out to death. Many times I wondered at your gift of life, I'm in that place once again. I'm in that place once again. Once again I look upon the cross where you died I'm humbled by your mercy and I'm broken inside Once again I thank you Once again I pour out my life to the highest place, King of the heavens, where one day
Jesus' name, amen. 